0: I don't think anyone got through 2020 without experiencing some wave of anxiety at some point. I mean, our entire world got flipped upside down. I'll never forget when coronavirus was, the awareness was starting to come up and we were having to look at it and I was starting to think, oh my gosh, this is, this is serious. I looked at my husband and I said, but what are we going to do? Shut the world down? That is exactly what happened and what I thought to be unthinkable or impossible happened. I definitely, for one, experienced waves of anxiety. I mean, when it initially hit, there was a lot of tension with law enforcement. My husband's in law enforcement, so there was a lot of uh, anxiety there. The political climate. I mean, you guys were there. (laughs) I don't have to rehash it for you guys. I really believe 2020 broke and rebuilt all of us in some way. But throughout the course of 2020 and working with clients and seeing it in myself, one of the repeated themes that came up was Jess. My anxiety is so high, I either A, don't want to eat, or B, want to eat everything. Like, I'm so anxious, I'm just shoving food in my face, and I don't even know that I'm doing it. The American Psychiatric Association did a survey on this, and they found that 39% of people react to anxiety by overeating, while 31% skip meals. So the majority of us are going to one of these extremes, either overeating or undereating, when we experience anxiety. And this is problematic. My entire reason for doing this podcast is helping people understand ways to better fuel themselves so they're not spending energy obsessing about food. And instead, they're just being their awesome self. They're being the person that they were made and created to be. So I talk a lot about diet culture and how it can eclipse our inner awesome because it still is energy. So we're allocating energy towards obsessing about food and body instead of focusing on like our gifts and giving back and making the world a better place. I also think in addition to at least what I noticed in the in the past year, especially is that it's not only diet culture that eclipses this inner awesome, it's the curveballs that life throws at us. Because when we experience stress, our body reacts in very specific ways. And and the stress response is actually designed to help us survive and overcome the stressor, but a lot of times it can be paralyzing and it can set us back and it can start to pull from our health and send us down this spiral where it's hard to pull ourselves out. And I see a lot of that in the clients I work with after we've gone through the year 2020. I definitely went through waves in 2020 where I had to really look at how I was taking care of my health and implement some new tactics resource some of the tools that I teach other people because it was a year of unknowns and adjusting and adapting on the daily. Today, what I want to go over is some really specific nutritional considerations that we can take into our knowledge bank and pull out the next time we experience this wave of anxiety because it'll happen again. And who knows what this year is going to hold. But what I do know is that we do not have A spirit of weakness we have a spirit of strength we all have that inner awesome and there are certain things that we can do um, nutritionally to help strengthen that so that we can be stronger than our circumstances what's up friends welcome to the fuel her awesome podcast it's time to finally break up with dieting and choose to live boldly and unapologetically in that bodacious body of yours if you've had enough of your inner awesome being eclipsed by body hate and you're drowning in that sea of nutrition info out there, girl, I made this podcast for you. Become the healthiest and most energized version of yourself through confidence, food freedom, faith, and body empowerment from science backed to nutrition and energizing foods with a little wiggle room. Because who doesn't want a side of donuts and a little wine does the body good (laughs) i'm jess a body bully warrior registered dietitian and food freedom guru i believe that when we stop letting culture define health beauty and what we should and shouldn't eat we can finally live free in our own bodies are you ready to channel your inner awesome at a whole nother level grab a cup of coffee or lace up those running shoes and let's dive in to today's show There's this meme going around that just makes me laugh. It's this little cartoon girl and on her her shirt, it says, anxiety girl. She's got this really cute cape and one arm in the air. And at the top it says, me, what could possibly go wrong? And anxiety girl responds, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Anxiety is something that is very real. And if you've ever experienced it, you know just how intense it can be. There is this spectrum of anxiety on one end of the scale, we have kind of a low-grade, elevated cortisol inflammatory state. This is like that, I just feel on edge. I feel kind of tense. Things just don't feel right. And then it can swing all the way to the other end of the spectrum where we have full-blown panic attacks. And if you've ever had a panic attack, it's the worst. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I've had a few, and they are all consuming. its You don't know what's happening in your body, but your body feels completely out of control, it's very scary. So anxiety, wherever you've experienced it on that spectrum, the things I'm going to be talking about today can help you navigate and strengthen your ability to withstand it and manage it. When we experience anxiety, there's some specific things that happen in our GI tract. One of the things that happens is that our gut takes on a certain posture, this very tightened posture. And so how I like to think of this is, Very much like smiles are universal. I can be in a totally different country across the table from somebody who speaks a totally different language. And if I smile at them, there is a general understanding of what emotion is being conveyed. Our gut is the same way, regardless of culture, language, ethnicity, our gut takes on a certain posture when we experience a certain emotion. So with anxiety, it tends to tighten up. This makes food more difficult to absorb. It's also why we tend to have IBS. Most folks who experience anxiety or they're really stressed are in the bathroom having diarrhea quite a bit. And this is in part why when people experience depression, we see kind of the reverse effect where everything slows down. The gut takes on a slightly different posture, but constipation becomes more of an issue. The second thing that happens when we're feeling anxious is that we have an increase in acid production in our gut. This is a protective effect where the body is trying to digest food more quickly so that it can keep energy allocated towards the stressor, which served us really well you know, in ancient times when we had threats like bears or tigers or animal predators, but now the stressors are mental. And so It doesn't serve us quite as well. However, we still feel that increase in acid production. So if we don't eat and we have this tightened posture and increased acid production, we develop ulcers. This is where stomach ulcers start to present, which if you've never had an ulcer before, they are incredibly painful. (laughs) So one of the responses is to not eat. This is the person or the personality type that gets stressed and eating feels like work. Chewing is an inconvenience. And if you do try to eat, you tend to eat something and you can almost feel it immediately in your throat. So that's one response to anxiety and feeling stressed is not eating. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, gosh, I wish I was one of those people. I just want to point out, this may not be a popular thing to point out, but this just shows how deeply ingrained diet culture is that we would literally wish to be in someone else's pain because it means we might lose some weight. I mean, there's something wrong with that. People often respond to anxiety in one of two ways. It can be the this first part that I mentioned where you don't want to eat as much. And that's where we risk the stomach ulcers and nutritional insufficiency. And then on the other side, that tightened stomach and that increase in acid production can cause pain. And sometimes people want to eat to soothe. And we tend to want to eat really comforting carb dense foods like mac and cheese, enchiladas, um, cereal. And not that there's anything wrong with eating for comfort. I just want to be very clear here. Um, That's a very natural human thing to do. But if we do it continually in response to anxiety, we're starting to use food for something that it's not created to do. Food is not meant to be our only source of comfort. So either of these circumstances, whichever side of the spectrum you fall on, either the you don't eat in response to anxiety or you eat to comfort or eat to soothe in response to anxiety, they can really interfere with your hunger and satiety cues or even your hormones. And I do a lot of talking on this podcast about intuitive eating and eating in alignment with what your body's telling you to eat. So what are you supposed to do when your body is telling you things that don't line up with your biological needs? I've been in both of these places. When I was in college, I definitely fell on the latter response where I ate to soothe. And unfortunately, over time, that ended up leading to binge eating and bulimia, which definitely didn't serve me and made my anxiety worse. Now, I tend to struggle more with the not eating in response to stress. And a lot of it has to do with the circumstances of life right now. I mean, I'm I'm a mom. I'm working. My husband's on call 24-7. So I tend to be very busy. I don't sit down a lot. And so when I'm feeling stressed and anxious, the thought of sitting down and pausing to eat almost adds more anxiety sometimes because I'm like, Oh no, I got to do all these other things. But being in this field, I know the importance of prioritizing quality nutrition so that I don't go into this anxiety spiral and go farther to the right on that anxiety spectrum. Because I panic attacks, like I said, they're horrible. I've had more than I've ever wanted to have in a lifetime, and I don't ever want to have one again. And what we know is that we can do some specific things with our nutrition to help us manage the anxiety that we're experiencing. So to start, I'm going to talk about three things. I want to talk about gut-brain connection, magnesium, and specific dietary fats. Gut-brain connection, you guys, this is so fascinating. <laughs> we know the brain talks to the gut. I mean, I talked about at the beginning, when you're feeling anxious, you get IBS. When you're feeling depressed, you get constipated. That's the brain talking to the gut, where the gut takes on that posture. But what we know now is that the gut, it's a bi-directional relationship, and the gut now talks to the brain. It sends messages. And the best way that I can think to explain this is like this. So if I'm driving down the street and I'm listening to my favorite jam, which is probably some gangster rap, I know I'm so not gangster, but (laughs) when I'm in my suburban mom car, I feel like I am. (laughs) So if I'm driving down the street, listening to that, I'm in a good mood. Somebody cuts me off. I'm already in a good mood. I'm listening to some good music. The weather's beautiful. I'm probably not going to react. Or if I do react, it's going to be minimal. Okay, let's rewind and replay that situation. Only this time I'm listening to wheels on the bus for the 27th time. Now someone cuts me off. I'm going to have a stronger reaction. I mean, I'm going to have one of those reactions that I'm going to later have to apologize to my kids for. The reason I'm reacting differently is because I have this tune playing in my head. This is exactly what the gut is doing for our brain. It's playing a tune that can impact how we're reacting to the stressors that are presented to us. This tune that's created and sent up to the brain, it's actually generated by the bacteria that we have living in our GI tract. So I call it the microbiome or microbiota, but that microbiota produces metabolites that generate this tune to our brain. And there's certain foods that we eat that feed our microbiome that can, create, that can create awesome gangster rap or wheels on the bus. So if you're like me, you're like, okay, but what, so what foods do I eat? What am I supposed to eat to get my gut to play that good old gangster rap? Fiber is one of the key nutrients that feeds our microbiome to produce that awesome tune to our brain. Intake from dietary fiber from fruits and vegetables specifically. So I'm not talking about fiber from like a fiber one bar or a supplement. I'm talking about fiber from fruits and vegetables. It's been reported to be inversely related to um, symptoms of depression and anxiety These dietary fibers, it's really cool. They're actually fermented by our microbes and result in the production of something called short-chain fatty acids. And these short-chain fatty acids help to keep our intestinal wall strong and solid so we don't develop something called leaky gut. Essentially, a leaky gut is when the, the cellular junctions in our GI tract become loose. And so either food particles or inflammatory markers can actually get out and seep through our GI tract into Circulation, and they've actually linked this to systemic or low grade systemic inflammation called endotoxemia. They've also found that leaky gut is a characteristic of depression. And so the production of short chain fatty acids may indirectly influence our mood by building a stronger structure in our gut, preventing some of these inflammatory markers from making their way into circulation and just making our body physically stronger. So that's one way we can strengthen our gut and our immune system to manage anxiety that's coming our way. Wherever you are at on your fruit and veggie intake, whether you're at zero, one to two servings a day. And when I say servings, I just mean, you know, like a cup or whatever it is. So an apple, I don't care what size that apple is. If you have an apple, count it as a serving. I mean, don't get hung up on stuff that really doesn't matter all that much, but whatever you're at, start there and let's increase it by one. I mean, and it doesn't have to be anything fancy, whatever fruits and veggies you like start there. And then from when you're trying to increase, know that it may take some time to get to a place where you enjoy having fruits and veggies. I mean, the research shows that you have to eat a food at least 21 times before your taste buds will adjust to it and find it as a food that you prefer. 21 times. I've eaten broccoli more than 21 times. I still don't like it. So that's when I've just come to accept that I don't love and I'm going to put it in things, try to disguise it and just know that it's it's giving me a protective factor. But then there's other foods like strawberries. I was not a huge fan of strawberries for a very long time, but I really wanted to you know, like them more. So I started, honest to God, I started eating strawberries by putting sugar on them. My my high school best friend taught me that she used to eat a big bowl of strawberries with added sugar. She'd sprinkle sugar on top and they were delicious. That got me started with strawberries. Then I started to tailor back on the sugar and I ate chocolate covered strawberries. And then I started eating strawberries on my oatmeal. So I kind of, I moved towards having them by themselves until my taste buds became acquainted with them. Now I love them. But the fruits and veggies journey is something that is a journey. It's not something that we naturally, well, maybe some of you naturally love it. I mean, I, I look at my family. My kids do not, they're not the type of kids that want to eat things like fruits and veggies. We have to work really hard to introduce them. Honestly, they don't eat very many. I mean, I think it's something that over time they'll see mom and dad modeling and they'll start to pick up on, but they just don't naturally prefer them. On the flip side, my nephews love fruits and vegetables. I mean, they eat bell peppers like apples. (laughs) It's amazing. And so I think they were born that way, whereas my, my kids weren't. And So whatever you fall on that, it's important to acknowledge that and figure out ways to add more fruits and veggies. Because at the end of the day, those fruits and veggies are not just serving as fuel, antioxidants, recovery fuel, um, cancer preventive fuel sources. They're also food for your microbes. It serves two purposes. So fruits and veggies, that's one of the things we can do to build our bodies to be strong enough to withstand and tackle the anxiety that we face. So another thing we can do from the nutritional perspective is get enough magnesium. And magnesium is fascinating to me. This is a specific nutrient that's involved in over 300 biochemical reactions to maintain homeostasis in our body. And it's estimated that less than 68% of Americans get enough magnesium. So just to give you an idea of the challenge it is to meet your magnesium needs, we adults, so over the age of 18, need between 310 and 420 milligrams of magnesium every single day one of the densest sources of magnesium in foods is pumpkin seeds and if you were to eat an ounce of pumpkin seeds you would only get 150 milligrams of magnesium other sources of magnesium are going to be like three ounces of chicken oatmeal bananas and even in those you're only getting about 20 milligrams per meal that you have those so think if we're trying to get 310 even if you eat a full ounce of pumpkin seeds every day some bananas, oatmeal, chicken, you're still coming up short. And so this one is challenging to get, but it's super important because it plays a key role in the psychoneuroendocrine systems involved in the pathophysiology of depression and anxiety. So specifically looking at magnesium, um, when we're stressed, so when we, something activates our stress response, our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, so our HPAA is a key player in that stress response. It releases the hormones that we experience when we're stressed. It's that heightened anxiety, that narrowed focus that we feel. And what they know is that magnesium actually moderates that stress response. It helps our body uptake more GABA, which is a anti-stress neurotransmitter. And it helps to slow down and minimize that HPAA response, which is really, really powerful. But if we're not getting enough magnesium, we're not getting that benefit that magnesium can provide. Really interestingly, we tend to release or pee out more magnesium when we're stressed. So the time that we need more, we're also excreting it faster. They did this really interesting study on people who experience test anxiety, which are you one of those? Because I definitely am one of those. I hate tests. So they looked at people who experienced test anxiety and they measured their magnesium in their urine output and found that when they were experiencing anxiety, there was an increased excretion. Isn't that crazy? So they were actually peeing out more magnesium when they needed it the most most of the evidence supporting the relationship between magnesium and affective states comes from the the body of evidence showing the benefits of having magnesium as an adjunctive therapy to um, depression and anxiety medication so if you're thinking okay jess i get it we need magnesium i don't eat pumpkin seeds and obviously i'm not getting it from other sources so what am i supposed to do so supplementation is a great great thing uh, I do want to put this disclaimer here. Before adding any supplement, please, please talk with your dietitian, Talk with your doctor. Um, make sure it doesn't interfere with any of the medications that you're on. There's also a whole slew of different magnesium sources. So like there's magnesium citrate, which is a little bit better for sleep. That's actually that calm powdered magnesium that you'll find in most grocery stores today, but it can actually have a laxative effect. Then there's magnesium oxidate, which is the cheapest, but it's not as bioavailable to the body. So um, if you are looking at supplementing him, please, you know, ask your healthcare provider. That would be a good question to ask is what magnesium do you recommend I take? So the third and final thing that we can do to prepare our bodies to be the strongest that we can make it to withstand these Periods of anxiety is eating adequate, unsaturated fatty acids. So this is going to be the anti-inflammatory fats. Um, Things like omega-3s from ground flaxseed, walnuts, salmon, other fats like avocados, olive oil, avocado oil, nuts, seeds, all of these anti-inflammatory fats. This is, um, if you've ever followed the Mediterranean diet, these kind of fats are going to be really well known to you because these are one of the primary fuel sources on the Mediterranean diet. And to this day, the Mediterranean diet is still one of the diets that has the, the most research to support long-term beneficial effects. And I think personally, because it's not really a diet, I mean, there's no calorie restrictions. There's no really intense macros. I mean, all it is, is it's focusing on eating whole foods, lots of fruits and veggies. And these anti-inflammatory fats, but they've found that specifically when it comes to anxiety and depression, anti-inflammatory fats like that in the Mediterranean diet help improve symptoms of anxiety and depression. Super cool stuff. So if you're like most Americans right now, kind of thinking, okay, what's the rest of 2021 going to look like? I just read an article today that said here in New Mexico, our kids are probably not going back to school for the remainder of the school year, which ooh, stresses me out. I mean, I, if you have heard that my boys are actually in the background screaming right now, I keep having to pause it <laughs> because we are still home and they have a lot of energy. So the thought of being home for the next year, while well, I love them so very much, it's a little stressful. <laughs> and I imagine I'm not alone, whatever you look like, whether you have kids, whether you have a job that you are working from home, whether you're not sure if you're going to have a job. I mean, there's all these things happening right now that are spiking our, our anxiety. And I think most people are facing these biological changes to our GI tract, putting in them this, in this position where it's like, I don't want to eat or I want to eat everything. And what we know is that going down both, either of those paths and set us up to just feel crappy. And I don't know about you, but when I feel crappy, and I'm not accessing that inner awesome, I struggle. And I I get kind of get in this pit like this. I mean, I don't know where you guys go, but I almost go into like this self-pity, insecure pit. And it's not somewhere I want to stay. It's not my best self. And I'm definitely not serving this world and trying to leave it a better place when I'm in that space. So here are some things that you guys can do right now to start preparing your body to be in a place to better manage anxiety. Number one, if you are struggling, if you're in the middle of anxiety, eat on a schedule. So I don't care what you eat, what quantity, but eat on a schedule. What this does is this doesn't allow the tightened stomach, the increased acid production, the anxiety to tell you when and when not to eat. What it does is it helps your body readjust to a normalized eating pattern. There's a lot of folks I work with before we do anything. We just practice this for a whole month, eating on a schedule, eating every three to four hours giving your body what it biologically needs. So you're biologically set up. So that's number one. Number two, we talked about the fruits and veggies. Add them in wherever you're at. Let's up it by one guys. You don't have to do anything fancy with this. Smoothies are a great, great option. They're easy. They're convenient. If you struggle with textures like me, ugh, I'm, I'm one of those weird texture people, then this eliminates that, and you can add them to most anything. Like no joke, last night I had corn dogs and kale for dinner. <laughs> um, I roasted kale in the oven. Turn the oven up to 400 degrees. Brush some olive oil on it. Sprinkle it with salt and pepper, and roast it for about 12 to 15 minutes, and it comes out. You've got crispy little kale chips. Yeah, I had them with corn dogs. Awesome combo. Just find ways to add them in, even if it's not very elaborate. And then number three, review your supplement regimen with your dietitian or your healthcare provider. So specifically looking at magnesium. And when it comes to polyunsaturated fats, if you aren't a big salmon or walnut fan, adding in an omega-3 supplement and talking to your healthcare provider about adding that in. And the final thing we can do is work to manage our anxiety with soothing options that don't harm us. So skipping a meal, that hurts us because we're setting ourselves up to be malnourished and we're lowering our true energy availability. So we're, we're already going into the stressful situation with low blood sugar. Or if you're on the other end and you eat to soothe, again, there's nothing wrong with that here and there. I, I do believe emotionally eating can be very soothing. But over time, if that's our primary coping mechanism, that's also going to set us up to not feel so great. So treating the anxiety and learning to manage the anxiety in ways that doesn't damage us is really important. One of my favorite techniques for this is something called the five senses soothing strategy. One of my therapist friends taught me this in my early years of being a dietitian. And what she said is that, Jess, if you're feeling really stressed, you've got to treat the stress from all five senses. So taking into consideration, taking into consideration sound, sight, smell, taste, and touch. You know, if you like watching TV, if that's one of your, your coping tools, instead of just watching TV, make it a whole production. Sit on the couch, get a really cozy blanket that feels soft to the touch. Turn on your favorite TV show so that you're seeing and hearing something that calms you, that's soothing. Light a candle. There's a calming aroma. Cover soothing yourself from all five senses. So don't just do the one thing that feels good. You know, do it with style, do it with production, make it a big deal. Make it something that truly soothes and comforts you. Ladies, that's what I've got for you guys today. I know that we can take these steps to make our bodies as healthy and strong as they they can be to prepare us for whatever life is going to throw at us. Whatever 2021 will bring, we are going to be there stronger and shining our inner awesome regardless. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope today strengthened your food journey and empowered you to live boldly in your body. Real quick, sister, before you go, if you liked today's episode, please take a minute to head on over to iTunes, fuel her awesome podcast, and leave me a review. Ladies, can you imagine how much better our world would be if women everywhere were free from diet culture and misguided nutrition advice, and they had the ability to step into their full potential? If you have a girlfriend in mind that you know is amazing, but she's held back by body, diet, or diet culture hangups, please join the mission and share this episode on your social media. Don't forget to tag me at JessBrownRD. And if you want more on overcoming body image and insecurity, my 10-step ebook is a great place to start. Head on over to JessBrownRD.com and use the code LOVEMYBODY20 to save 20% through the end of January. Can't wait to chat more. Until next time, babes, cheers and happy eating.